uh, three of us, uh, Father Pacer, Father Arnold, myself, uh, watching a movie a while back called Silence. It's one of those art films. And it, uh, it was about a priest in 16, 1700s. He was a Jesuit, got sent to Japan uh, to minister to the underground church. It had been the missionaries were successful at converting uh, people in Japan to Catholicism, and uh, the emperor got angry at them or whatever, and began to persecute and kill all of them, and everybody went into hiding. So this priest goes over, and he's ministering to the underground church. He gets caught and tortured, and then the, the last uh, thing they, you know, they put in front of him was, you know, all these people that we've got locked up, we're going to kill them all, unless you deny your faith. If you deny your faith, we'll let all these people live. Thousands of people. So, oh. all right, so there's the good of saving all those lives, but there's the evil of denying my faith. Now, what would you guys do? It's right, a good question. Well, the priest... And they threw a crucifix on the ground. That stop on the crucifix is a sign that you're denying your faith. And he did it. Stomped on the crucifix, denied his faith. Okay. There's a moral axiom in, in, in the church that we all have to live by. One may never do an evil, that good may come of it. So, we, and folks, that question to that priest, you say, well, that'll never happen to me. It happens to us every day. We're confronted with moral questions every single day. Every, sing, every person here, every day, has to live with situations and make decisions in the moral life, huh? in the moral sphere. And they're all like that question that priest said, are you going to deny your faith uh, so some good thing happens? One may never do an evil, denying our faith, that good may come of it, saving those lives. Think about the moral situations that you and I are confronted with on a daily basis, big and small, where that's the choice. Do I listen to Scripture? Do I follow the commandments? Um... Or do you want to deny them? Because maybe some good thing will happen as a result of my denying or living by the moral precepts of the church. Yeah. Let's look at it this way. Uh, you know, we've got Genesis, Adam and Eve in the garden and their temptation today. We've got Jesus in the desert and his temptation today. And sandwiched in between those two slices of bread is, is Paul's reading on the cross and the salvific action of Jesus. All right, now, to understand it a little bit better, let's look at Adam and Eve. All right, so they, they've received everything from God. Everything. God shares his whole life with them. Even his breath, he breathes it into them. they got the image and likeness. They're made in his image, and they've got the likeness, the spirit, and they, they live his life. They are like God because they have his life. They have everything. There's nothing else that they needed. But there was one thing that God said, no, you can't have it. Now, why would God give them everything except that tree of knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden? Why? Why withhold it? Does God not want them to have fun? Does God not want them 
to, uh, is he holding out? Is he keeping some secret from them? This is what the devil tempts them to believe. God's not a good father. You can't trust him. There's this thing there that he won't let you have. I wonder what it is. Often we said, oh, the church doesn't want us to have fun. Churches, you know, you know, churches, you know, invading our bedroom or whatever it is, the churches interfering in our life won't let me do this or that. Same thing, right? So, there's this conversation Eve has with the, the servant, Adam's standing right there, and his job is to protect, till and protect, to protect the guard, protect his wife, protect his family, and he doesn't do it. So he's the first sinner, and then she, you know, she listens, and she's beguiled. She mistrusts God. Did God really say that? Does God not want us to have that? All of a sudden, she, she looks at the tree, and she sees it, and she goes, it is pleasing, and she says this to Adam. Here, it's pleasing to the eye, it's pleasing to the taste, and it's good for wisdom. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life, the threefold concupiscence. And they, they put it in nice language. We know it by money, sex, and power. Right? Money, sex, power. That's what that tree, that tree represents that line that God creates to separate us from man. He's going to give us everything. But to maintain his creatorness to our creatureness, the tree of knowledge and evil is good. Is it? What does that mean? That means you and I do not get to decide what's right and wrong. We think we do. That's moral relativism. I get to decide what's true. I get to decide what's right and wrong. Nobody's the boss of me, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, even the church, even Jesus. I'm going to do what I want. That's the original sin. That's what the devil did with Eve. That's what she did. That's what she said. So that, that knowledge of good and evil, that decision of what's right and wrong, belongs. it's proper to God. There, in other words, there's an objective, moral reality that exists outside of ourselves. And outside the sphere of our decision-making, it is, it is real, it is objective, it is true, and it is unchanging. It does not depend on our circumstances. It is true all the time. And if we make a decision that says, I don't have to abide by that because right now I don't think it's true, well, then it's not truth, huh? So that's what God is saying to us. Here's the law. Here's the commandments. Here's the Beatitudes. Here's Scripture. Here's the church that Jesus gave to us. And there's not a moral situation that we encounter that is not in some way addressed by all those things. What, is God, what God has given to us is a framework, a moral framework that is unchanging, true, beautiful, good, and accessible by which we can, have, we can hang the changing circumstances and events of our daily lives upon it. So we're not orphans, we're not alone, we're not left to make decisions without God's guidance. And as long as we maintain that moral life, we're fine. We're going to be happy, and we're going to get to heaven. We have to decide, though. He gives us a choice. Choose it. But if you choose wrongly, if you choose to step outside the truth, if you decide to make up your own rules, you're, you are going to step outside the garden, you're going to step outside that moral framework, and you are going to live in a, in a, in a state of uh, lacking of grace. It's called sin, and there's, there's, that's our responsibility. So, okay, now, you go to the dead, and so Adam and Eve failed, they lost the garden, now you have Jesus, and this is garden part two, this is like the, 
the rematch, throw down with the devil, part two. And Jesus is the new Adam, and he's going to go and do what Adam and Eve failed to do, which was to stay within the moral framework that the Father has given to us. He's a good Father, and he can be trusted. And we might not like his rules and laws. They may be hard to follow, but we need to stay within them. We need to stay within that life of grace, the image and likeness, all that God has given to us. So Jesus comes, and he's going he's to correct their mistake. How does he do it? Well, you look at the three temptations. Eve had lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Jesus has lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Stones in the bread, that's lust of the flesh. That's the sensual life. That's the sex part. Then you have uh, you know, the throwing yourself off the temple, and the angels are going to catch you. And isn't people are going to say, whoa, look at him, I'm going to follow him. And that's, that's the pride of life, that's pride. And, and then you have the, the uh, devil taking him up to the top of the mountain and showing him all the kingdoms of the world and all the people in the world and saying, all these are yours if you just bow down and worship me. All this is yours, look at it, look, see it? It's yours, that's lust of the eyes, that's greed. That's money, money, sex, power. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Same thing. Yet Jesus, in each case, pushes back and says, no, it's all about the Father. It's all about what he's given me, and I am going to be faithful. I'm not going to reject his teaching. I'm not going to reject his truth. I'm going to be faithful. Whereas the old Adam failed, the new Adam succeeds. Praise God. Now, in the middle is the cross. Paul's reading today. That's the tree that God has given to us at the center of our existence. Where that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That is the tree of life. That is the tree that God has put at the center of our existence that we have to be faithful to. We don't get to make up the rules. Huh? We don't. Imagine Jesus' temptation. That first one, stones into bread, easy. Low-level stuff. And that's where most of us are at most of the time. We're stuck in that, just struggling with, you know, low-level temptations. But it's doable because he's given us the grace to do it through the cross. The second one for Jesus, a little bit harder. Throwing yourself off, angels catch. Jesus came to make disciples, to build a church. And here, if he just does this, boy, the followers he's going to get. Boy, it'll make it so much easier. But no. The third temptation, that was tough. Why? Because that idea of seeing all the kingdoms of the world and all the people. And that didn't just include the present kingdoms. It included all the people who had died. And it included all the people that were going to go to hell. The devil's saying to him, you just let, you just worship me. You just stop on this crucifix. And all those people are going to hell, I'm going to let them go. Remember that priest? Stop on the crucifix, deny your faith, and all those people are going to get out. Jesus came for that reason. He came to save us. He came to keep us out of hell. And here he was getting, he was going to, it was going to be given to him. If he just was not faithful to the Father. That was hard. But he did it. Because he can't deny himself and what he's here for. We're not supposed to deny who we are and what we're here for. As his followers, as his disciples, as members of his kingdom, as people who have been saved by his blood, we are not to deny the Father and not to deny the, the personification of all that the Father has given to us. Pontiventure says, 
When he gave us Jesus, he didn't give us pennies, but a person, not a slave, but a son. And giving us Jesus, he gave us all that he was, all that he could, all that he had. In other words, he gave us the best, everything. There's nothing lacking that you and I need that we don't already have. And yet we will turn and say, I don't trust God. I don't want him micromanaging my life. I don't like this teaching and I'm not going to obey it. Do not stop on that crucifix. There's an objective moral truth and we're bound to it. It's not up to you and I to decide it. That cross in the middle of the garden, the tree of life, is the gift that comes to us because of our fidelity to his fidelity. Yeah. Think of the things, going back to the beginning, that you and I struggle with on a daily basis. Questions that you and I have about the moral life. Some of them are small, some of them are huge. Do I cheat on my taxes? You know, to withhold money from this government? That's a good, right? No. One may never do an evil, the good may come of it. To lie to save somebody's feelings? No. One may never do an evil, the good may come of it. Do I let my kids watch it on TV? Do I let them play these video games when I know it's destroying their minds and destroying their innocence? But their friends are doing it, and it socializes them, and all good things, some of them. One may never do an evil, the good may come of it. Do I cave into my son or daughter because of this demand? It, 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 but it'll keep peace in the family. How many of us had to face that? One may never, I don't deny my faith to keep peace in the family. One doesn't do an evil, the good may come of it. Bigger ones. Maybe we don't want to bring kids into the world like this. Maybe that's a, a good thing. Or, you know, maybe we, you know, it isn't right for us to be open to the number of you know, children that God wants us to have. We have good reasons, but is that what God wants from us? Do I follow the marriage laws? Do I follow uh, the, the, the morality, the sexual morality laws that Jesus and the church uh, and Scripture have given to us? I have good reasons not to, but I have to be faithful. I sit with married couples, couples preparing for marriage, and we talk, I and mean, so many of them live together now. And even in the face of statistics, it says 95% of the couples that don't live together, pray together, and go to Mass together, stay married. And they, when you, re, you remove one of those pillars, each one that gets removed, the, number, the, the, the divorce rate for those families, sky, for those couples skyrockets. In the face of that, but my personal feelings, our personal feelings are flawed, biased, and prejudiced. They're not objective truth, and we can't make our moral decisions based on those things. Our feelings don't count. And I say to them, you're living together. That's inappropriate. And it isn't because we're micromanaging your, your, your life. We don't want you to have fun. We, don't want, we, we want to be you know, micromanaging the bedroom. No, it's not it at all. It's because Jesus has given us this beautiful uh, truth about the, the meaning of our bodies and the sexual life and, and married life and the beauty and the profound nature of it and how important it is. And so we put frameworks upon that so that you know how to live that in a way that is going to bring you joy and happiness and fidelity. Yes, those teachings are beautiful and to protect you and to love you. And they say, well, it's, it's not, that's not what we want. I know it's not what you want. But one may never do an evil. The good may come of it. We, the good that you think 
that you're getting by doing that. Oh, it's saving us money, or we're learning, we're learning about each other. Nonsense. You don't have a problem. And they say, well, we don't like what you're saying. You don't, and I say, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with him. I point to the cross on my wall. That's the thing that stands in the breach between the old Adam and the new, between the old tree and the new tree of life, which is the cross. And as long as we embrace it and stay close to it, we stay close and are a part of the victory that he has won for us and a life that is possible to live, even though it's hard, that is going to get us to heaven. It's beautiful. It's hard, but it's beautiful. We tell the truth. We live the truth. We are the truth And there are many times that we fail. We're all guilty, myself included, where we've compromised, where we've stamped on that cross, stamped on that cross because we thought a good would come of it. We don't stamp on the cross, we embrace it. But we need help because we're sinners. And for all the times that we have failed, where we have not embraced the cross and not been faithful to what Jesus wants for us in his truth and his teaching, we're sorry. And we realize that it's that very cross that we have rejected that is, that is saving us, that gives us the grace to be forgiven, to have God's mercy and compassion and understanding, to have that second chance which he's always going to give to us. We have it. It's ours if we're faithful. And when we're not faithful, he is still faithful because he cannot be unfaithful to himself. It's beautiful teaching. It's beautiful life. That even when we fail, he's loving us and forgiving us and challenging us and giving us another chance. So pray about those areas during this season of Lent where we're not being faithful. That Holy Spirit prayer. Holy Spirit, soul of my soul, I adore you. Enlighten, guide, strengthen, and console me. Tell me what I ought to do. Command me to do it. I promise to be obedient to all that you ask of me to accept all that you allow to happen to me. Only Holy Spirit, show me your will and give me the courage and strength to follow it. Amen.